Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, for our special early morning edition of the Salty Pastor here on the 31st day of December in 2020. 2020 is over! Almost. Almost. There's a lot that can happen in the last couple yeah. hours, so don't get <laughs> too excited. Who knows what's going to happen in the next... 12 to 18 hours. So we want to drop this early because we know a lot of people um, will go out and celebrate tonight, especially celebrating the end of 2020. Yeah, I think, really. think people are going to be celebrating even more than usual. Um, so we wanted to get this to you early. My name is Jesse Mayer. I am your host of the Salty Pastor. And obviously, we can't have the Salty Pastor without the Salty Pastor himself, the old salty dog, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Yes, I am old. I'm a dog. And I am pretty darn salty. <laughs> I, I cop to all of the above. So last week we started, or on Tuesday, sorry, I'm still recovering from uh, Christmas Eve services. still recovering from Christmas Eve services. Um, (laughs) Tuesday we started talking about our new series, uh, Seven Rules for Your Life, and that's a study in Galatians. Yes. And the first principle that we're kind of discussing this week is making sure you discover and remember your purpose in life. Um, Why is this principle kind of the most first rule of our life? Well, I think it's really interesting is that is is that every human being searches for a purpose, whether consciously or subconsciously. And what we do is the culture we grow up in, we use these cultural markers to help define our purpose. And so when you grow up and you're you're little, you know, well, you say, well, my name is Susie or my name is Johnny. And so you start to understand self-identity through your first name. And then when you get a little bit older, you start your last name. Well, I'm a Smith. And these are the Smiths, you know, I'm a part of this family unit. And then what happens is you go, well, I grew up in the state of Wyoming. So I'm a Wyoming what, how, what are they? Wyoming. Yeah. Okay. Let's use Idaho <laughs> since we're from Idaho. I'm an Idahoan. Yes. You know, we think a little differently and we're, we have a few different values. You know, it's a different flavor. We talk a little bit differently you know when you come up here something's expensive (laughs) yeah it's spendy you know that was the new one that i that i had to adopt uh you kind of know who's in and who's not by the way they pronounce the word boise and that's how you know who's who's a native and who's not we have bumper stickers trying to teach people people that how to get in so anyway there so you start identifying that way and and so uh our society what what we're actually doing on a subconscious level is we are looking for identity and we're lo- and that has to do with your purpose and from purpose and identity ultimately becomes meaning in the quality of life that you're going to live and so what our society is doing right now is assaulting this this notion it's assaulting this notion that you can find identity intrinsically you can only find identi- identity externally, which is actually a contradiction because identity and purpose is something sovereignly that belongs to you. You know, you it's your brain that figures it out, right? Right. And But what happens is now society is telling you that we're going to tell you what your purpose and identity is by saying there is no such thing as identity. And therefore, there's no such thing as individual sovereign purpose. Therefore, everybody's growing up without any meaning in life. And so when that happens, you start seeing people believing and adopting really crazy ideas and thoughts. 
But that the reason why is because people are their souls are so thirsty for an identity and so thirsty for a purpose. They're almost willing to believe anything to fill the void. Well, and I think it's interesting that this wasn't something that just happened like overnight. Right. Correct. I mean, I think back to uh, what was it? The basketball player. Was it Scottie Pippen? The one that married himself, or no? No, uh, no, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. Yeah, he married he, himself. He married himself. So that was where, like, that's my earliest memory of being <laughs> like, well, that seems a little bit odd. Something's <laughs> off here. What I, is that? I mean, and I mean, there's probably significantly more, but like, as I'm thinking back, because it's like yes. it obviously didn't just happen. Like, 2020 didn't roll around, and suddenly everybody was like, hey we're going to start defining that there is no identity. And, you know, like it's been kind of this slow, methodical march. Yes. Little by little, little by little, little by little mm-hmm. being unraveled. And it's like, that's the earliest point I remember um, in my numerous years of being on the planet yeah. of being like, that seems a little odd. And him arguing, well, why can't I do that? Mm-hmm. It's my choice. Well, and I think what what you're uncovering here is philosophically, it's called the principle of incrementalism. And so what happens is you uh, adopt philosophical foundational uh, principles or axioms or a postulate or a premise. And then you try to reason from that. And, And what happened is after World War Two, we became more postmodern and post the, the enlightenment was based on uh, modernism or modernity and basically the scientific revolution the industrial revolution even societal revolutions were all contingent upon the philosophical premise of modernism and what modernism taught at its core was there's an objective truth out there and we can t- discover what that is so that really launched like the scientific revolution and that is looking for those yeah the scientific scientific method yeah yeah, yeah. scientific method is critical because the scientific method basically says we're not going to have any biases and we're going to do everything we can to eliminate our biases to try to get as close to that objective truth as possible and once we discover that then we can build on that so you come up with a hypothesis you test it you test it again then you have other people who don't know you they test it and if they come to the same conclusion so forth that was a scientific method well what happened though is after world war ii you see communism in and of itself was extremely uh you know, considered bad, it it got a really bad rap. And the main reason why a lot of people may not be aware of this is that uh, Nazism was a democratic socialism. It was, it was. And the reason why Adolf Hitler in the Third Reich hated the communists so much is because Adolf Hitler believed in a ethnic nationalism, okay, And so they had a unique identity, whereas communism being practiced by the Bolsheviks was eliminating all that. So there was no identity. And so there was no there is actually no sexual or gender identity either. Men and women were required to dress exactly the same, have the same haircuts, all this kind of stuff. So that's why you see, you know, there's supposedly interchangeable parts in the 
the cog of the state machine. Right. Right. So you could do anything. And so people were like at first, oh, wow, this is such great equality. And you're like, yeah, you have no idea what the word equality actually means, because mm -hmm. what they do is they basically strip everybody's identity away from them. So everybody's a drone. So you're just equally a slave. So that's one way to get equality, I guess. That's an option. <laughs> that's an option. And it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. So the primary strategy of assaulting that today was rooted in, the, um, if I go back to the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, because they realized we, we hold on to these theories, right? But we don't want them to have communistic overtones. And so, because communism was seen so bad. And so what they did is they started to push us away from any sense of identity as human beings or intrinsic value determined from anything outside of ourselves. So we became materialistic philosophically. And then at the same time, uh, Jacques Derrida and Michel Foucault and some of these other guys started to really write about how uh, they took Nietzsche's philosophical position where Nietzsche basically introduced the idea of, they call it philosophical squinting. And what that means is when everybody makes an, an objective or an axiomatic truth statement, he would squint at it and go, oh, really? So he was skeptical of any objective yeah, of okay. true statement. Yeah. And so that's what he did. And so what happened is uh, Derrida in particularly in language, um, he, he kind of pro proposed these are the fathers of postmodern theory or philosophy. He proposes that the words that you read actually don't have any intrinsic meaning to them. And see, this is a, 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 a radical shift because before that, when you would read something your first goal is well what in the world does the author mean right before you even agree or disagree it's like what are you actually trying to say there's a meaning there and i want to know what it is well Drita came along and said well actually that's irrelevant there is none because it doesn't matter it only matters what you think it means so that's where he started and so in, in essence there is some truth to this point that we should be skeptical of true statements and we should be tr skeptical of uh of dogmatic statements and yes sometimes i read something it's important to know how i interpret it Th those are all true but he did basically took that pendulum and just swung oh, it hard yeah. into the yeah so he basically you know he and michelle foucault and and uh some of these other philosophers heidegger and so forth they basically came over the point is that well that means there are no objective truths there are no meta narratives there's no single story of humanity and once you do that you're basically you you remove any foundation that allows us to interact as equals or as human beings and so it, it be, we become a soulless person and this is why lord of the rings was so popular after world war ii that's when it really became popular because of the postmodern. Ooh, I see. You're I'm like, like oh, I I'm so I'm curious now, aren't you? There's a pop culture reference. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah. Well, here's why it became extremely popular because this philosophy was taking root in the academia, the postmodern the philosophy. Po post okay. philosophy, and all this kind of stuff. And what's really interesting is in the Lord of the Rings, you have a character named Gollum. Yes. Right. And Gollum is actually a reference to an ancient Jewish myth, meaning the unman, okay. a man without identity.
a man with nothing, a man with no soul. Hmm. And so Gollum was what? The bad guy in it. And what did Frodo try to do in working with Gollum? What is the whole interaction between him and Gollum? What, what did Sam want to do to Gollum? Sam wanted to kill him. Sam, yeah, let's get rid of him. But what did Frodo want to do? Frodo wanted to redeem him, basically. Yes. And how can you, re- you, you cannot redeem a soulless, inanimate object. You can only redeem what? Someone with a soul. Yeah. So he believed that Gollum had a soul. Soul. Yeah. And I, I think in the movie, you know, uh, you picked this up in reading the books, but in the movie, I thought it's Michael Jackson, right? The director, producer. Uh, no. no. Um, Michael. Somebody Damn. tell us. No. <laughs> that Put guy. In the comments. <laughs> not the singer Michael Jackson. No. That's not what I said. I thought the name Jackson was in there, but um, we have technology so at our fingertips. You'll ch- you'll look you it keep up vamping. I'll figure it out. Well, basically, what he did is he showed Gollum having a split, like a schizophrenia, where he argues with himself back and forth, and then the soulless portion of him wins. And what's so interesting is when you don't have a soul. Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. That's I was like, Michael Jackson no. is definitely not who it Peter is. Jackson. But what happens is he then talks about uh, in this thing how uh, he argues with himself and the soulless man, the unman, the golem wins, right? Because what does the golem care about? Only cares about the ring. The ring. Which is materialistic. Which is materialistic. <sighs> yeah. And deterministic. I'm picking it up. Wow. Isn't that awesome? So, so you know, this is where Hume comes in and writes. Uh, Hume had a huge impact on the f- formation political theory of the United States of America. And what was really interesting is he said this, you cannot get an ought from an is. And his point was, is that, you know, what science does is it describes what is. And that's what it's really, really good at. And let's let it be better at that. And so you had a guy uh, like Bertrand Russell, who was an atheist, and he wrote a book. And it's really kind of a funny book. I have it. It's called Why I'm Not a Christian. And in the book, he basically says back in, in the 20s and early 30s, he says, well, the reason I'm not a uh, Christian is because science has discovered everything we need to know. Hmm. <laughs> so okay. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, just think if he would have been alive today, what we're doing now, you know, <laughs> wow. Science is just like, we're just scratching the surface, you know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, long and short of it is, uh, in, in response to that, Hume's position was is that what science, its wheelhouse is, and this is why faith and science fit so well together and why so much of the science actually was birthed out of a Christian ethic, is that we want to understand what is, you know, but you can never get an ought. In other words, in other words you can't understand why it's there. You can't get a, a, its purpose for existence. Okay. You can understand, you can understand it how is, it works. Yeah. And but why is it so perfect? Why does it work this way? Why is our planet just the right temperature? Yeah. So people were saying, well, that's because evolution always gets the perfect answer. And and uh, there's a lot of people who uh, still hold to the theory of microevolution and so forth. But that uh, that theory or that principle in and of itself has uh, really been pretty much discredited. And as a postulate that's believable, that evolution always comes up with the best answer. And the reason why is because philosophically speaking, you have the issue. You always have to deal with irreducible complexity. You always have to deal with that. And that is, is that the best things out there are machines 
and those machines could only come into existence if somebody predetermined the need for the machine. Hmm. See, so and then and then when we got into the study mapping the human genome and DNA and all that kind of stuff, that really uh, doesn't fit well with that theory. So the theory of the microevolution. Yeah, the the, the macroevolution, the microevolution, and so forth. And and people still hold to those theories, and they're very effective in in scientific inquiry for discovering what is. But what they're really bad at is telling you why or the ought. And so in that's why today scientism has taken over. And what scientism is, is it's a group of people who are the celebrities of science. And what they do is they, they basically have taken science and what it is, its capacity to discover what is and define it and understand it, and use it as an ought. And they're trying to and they make a religion out of it. And that is as well. This is what this is who we are as human beings. And without ever understanding that by by starting the discussion that way, you're telling a person that you don't have any intrinsic value. You have no purpose or meaning in your life. Okay, you're just part of this evolutionary chain. And so atheism always leads to nihilism and nihilism means despair. No reason to live. Um, It's a closed system. So that's that's where this assault started back in the 40s and the 50s through postmodernism. And then it invaded science. And now we have scientism and it's really causing a lot of problems today. Well, what I appreciate is that. You have a healthy respect for science, especially because as you, you know, and I didn't even realize this because the way the media plays it and the way cultural Mm -hmm. plays it now, it's like, well, you're either believe in science or you have faith and like they're mutually exclusive and they're really not. It's just science seems to be trying to overstep its bounds on what it's what its purpose is supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. It's supposed to be looking at uh, uh, truths that are, but they're not supposed to be there to try to explain why they are. Yeah. That's well, and I actually did a series of messages called Faith and Science, and this is probably about four or five years ago. And at the time, you know, I, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but this is what I prophesied in that series is I said, when science is taken over by scientism, what you're going to end up is a denigration and an undermining of any faith and confidence in science itself. So I said that. I, I said, look, scientism is going to destroy the efficacy of science. It's going to undermine it. And so COVID has taught this to be true. Hmm. And that is, is that our health leaders are telling us to follow the science, follow the science. And then they make decisions saying we're following the science that have absolutely nothing to do with the science, Mm. you know? And so that, that is what's really fascinating. And then what they do is they tell, they, they make mandates, you know, we're closing down all travel and like the mayor of Austin, we're not going to have any travel. And he, he makes this announcement from his condo in In, Cabo, you know, I'm like, That's crazy. You know, Gavin Newsom says we're shutting down all restaurants. You're not allowed to go out to eat. And then he's out to eat with a group of 25 people. And guess who's at that meeting at that? At the, he's eating at the most expensive restaurant in California. 
And who's at that meeting? Well, it's the gal who's head of the health and science department of California. Yeah. And all these scientists and all these people. And what, why am I bringing this up? As I'm saying is that because the outcome of that is now you have a whole boatload of people who see that and they don't believe you. Yeah. See, they, they so now when you appeal to authority and that's what scientists uh, not, excuse me, that's what scientism does. Science always appeals to observable, provable fact. Hence, Scien hence the scientific method. Hence the scientific method. Scientism appeals to authority. And in philosophy, that's considered a logical fallacy. In other words, you should do what I say because I'm a scientist and I have authority. I know more than you. Well, I was just listening to another podcast the other day, actually, and they were talking about the Stanford prison experiment. Yes. And the guy who designed that had a pretty strong bias. And so when he designed it, he was already looking for and had already invited press saying, this is what's going to happen. Yes. And so basically to this day, everyone still quotes this as an experiment. And he's gotten so much heat that he now says, oh, it wasn't an experiment. experiment. It was a demonstration. Yeah. And so he went into that basically doing the same thing and they brought him in to testify in trials and stuff yes. based on this quote-unquote authority yes. that he had from this prison experiment that he ran that was full of all of these scientific methodical flaws yes and now he's basically just said oh well at this point he doesn't want to fight anymore so he's like oh well it was never an experiment i never yeah. said it was an experiment yeah but people exactly and so and he but he's still quoted and that research is still in so many textbooks as a well fact this is a fact this is what people do in, in this these situations situation. and it's like uh -huh. But there's all these issues, and then they kind of go into this word, and I hate this word, but it's nevertheless, and then <laughs> they just continue down the path. Yeah. Well, in, in economics, and they do this in science, and, and other thing, it's called confirmation bias. And, you know, we as human beings, we only listen to facts and things that fit our confirmation bias. Right. And this is why I believe unequivocally that Christianity is the only hope to save America. In other words, we're still going to have Americans because Christianity is the only belief system that says you can disagree with me and I'll respect your decision to disagree with me. Hmm. I, I challenge every listener today to find me a belief system that says in its conclusive logical conclusion that you give people the freedom to believe what they want and disagree with you. That doesn't mean that there aren't preachers out there twisting that and Correct. saying oh, yeah. whatever. But in the core truth, the poor, core biblical truth, yes. Christianity is the only yeah. religion. And as I, as I talked about before, is that everything in America that we enjoy about our lives, you know, falling in love and having our own, you know, lifetime romance, uh, pursuing a career that's fulfilling. You know, I want to find out what I what, you know, I want to do. And some people have like, I've done five different things and loved them all, you know, <laughs> and, you know, like that. The one thing we don't want to do is have the person who says, well, I don't do anything, man. I just let people take care of me. We're like, yeah, we don't want that. Um, but we've had uh, the, the freedom to do that, the freedom to um, debate ideas and, and have the freedom to vote different ways and all those all come from the trunk of liberty on the tree of liberty. And what people don't realize is that that tree will only grow out of Christianity. That's where it grows. Scientific discovery grew out of the soil of Christian ethics. 
So what happens when you what what scientism wants to do is take scientific discovery out of the soil of Christianity and plant it in an empty pot? Well, what ends up happening is it dies. And so one of the most fascinating studies that I read is a study of where innovation and discovery comes from. And what happens is that is that America was so great over the last century because something was unique about Americans. And that is, is that uh, even scientists that immigrate to America, they tend to to have more discoveries, more patents, more of these types of things that are innovative and creative breakthroughs happen in America than any other nation out there. And they were like, why is that? What's what makes it so unique? Because even when people immigrate there um, after a period of time, they start thinking and acting that way. And so I'm like, you know, what's happening is that that comes out of a philosophical, ethical construct of Christianity. And that's what's that's why we can never lose our purpose, never lose our mission, because once we lose that, then what you will become is you'll become a victim of the culture trying to tell you, you know, you're going to have atheists and agnostics and uh, the, the scientism running around. You're going to have uh, people trying to oppose a cultural hegemony on you. And guess who's growing up in this environment? Our children. Mm. And one day my grandchildren. And so what's the best thing we can do is we can talk about it, we can focus on it, and we can look forward to what God wants to do through us for this new generation. Because just remember what America was started on. It was started on a group of people who went to a new land for what purpose? To build a new life. A new life. Yeah, and it became the hope of the world. So 2021, I think we need to look forward to all of the new things that God wants to do, all of the new things that we as a church can do and how we can start a, a revolution of thought, a revolution of ethic, a revolution of identity from Boise, Idaho. You know, it can become the epicenter of something that is going to give young people, our children and our grandchildren, an idea about their life that they won't hear anywhere else. And I believe that Jesus is going to take that and he's going to use it to build his kingdom. And we're going to see things happening that we never imagined before. So we should all look towards 2021 with hope and with passion and vision and excitement of what God can do through us. Absolutely. Well, this was episode 50 of the Salty Pastor podcast. Big five zero. Yes. Um, someday I will be that age, I think, and that'll be a, <laughs> You'll probably make just as exciting. Um, but I've just really appreciated all of your insight that you've given me and, and our listeners mm -hmm. through this whole process. Um, it's kind of fun that it's the 50th episode and on the last day of the year in 2020. I think that's just a nice little bow to kind of wrap it up with. We even talked about some movie mm -hmm. stuff. We, we you love that. We jokingly talked about maybe even doing a separate podcast where you talk about the philosophy. So this was kind of a, a test version. So if you're into that and you like it, just let us know because there might be more of those coming up if you're if we get enough people interested in seeing the philosophical <laughs> breakdowns of some of your favorite movies. But we just want to wish you guys a Happy New Year. Please stay safe tonight if you're going out to celebrate. There's some people that are yes. less responsible than others. Um, so just make good choices. And mm -hmm. we will look forward to seeing you on Sunday for the start yes. of our brand new series, Seven Rules for Your Life. Yeah. First Sunday in 2021. Blessings, everyone. <laughs>